Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, and it's draft week, one of the best weeks of the year. And we are back on site in Cleveland, Ohio, after being home for the draft last year during the pandemic. Weird feeling going back out on the road, the first work trip since the combine in February of 2020. It has been that long since we've been on the road, and there couldn't be a better event with more intrigue and more storylines than the draft that will unfold Thursday through Saturday in Cleveland. We know the Jacksonville Jaguars are up at number one. And by the way, we'll be joined on this podcast by the Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer to talk about the process leading up to the number one pick. And Urban Meyer was a fantastic guest. That'll be coming up soon. But we have the Jaguars at one. And we all know and expect that they will take the generational quarterback, the top quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, Trevor Lawrence headed to the Duval to go play for the Jaguars and Urban Meyer. And then we had the New York Jets. And we expect the New York Jets to focus in on the Brigham Young quarterback, Zach Wilson, who throws the ball like Patrick Mahomes. And the question now will become whether he can develop into the type of quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. But he looks like he's the Jets' Next answer. And then, and then we get to number three, the San Francisco 49ers. And here is where the draft's first bit of intrigue picks up. Because when the 49ers traded up from number 12 to number three, they did so with the idea that they were comfortable picking Mac Jones in that spot at number three but that they would spend the next month doing a deep dive into Trey Lance and Justin Fields. And they have done that deep dive. And that deep dive has made the 49ers decision much tougher than they thought it was going to be. This is not an easy decision. And I can tell you that they are going back and forth on it because these quarterbacks are quite compelling to them. And whereas it would have been, Almost a lock that Mac Jones would have been the guy a month ago. And maybe it'll still be Mac Jones on Thursday night. It still might be, but it might not be. And that's the thing that's interesting here. They went to the pro day of Justin Fields. They went to the pro day of Trey Lance. And I can tell you that they were impressed with what they saw. They like these quarterbacks. And now it becomes almost a philosophical question about where you want to take your offense, what you want to do with your team. And I can tell you that they're not quite sure what they're going to do. That's as of Monday morning when we're recording this. Now, maybe on Tuesday or Wednesday, they will make up their mind. And I think a month ago, like I said, they were entirely comfortable taking Mac Jones to that spot. And he still might be the pick. He very well might be the pick. But again, to repeat, he might not. And so that's where we are with the 49ers, which then leads into the Falcons, which the more this goes on, the more I hear Kyle Pitts is the likely pick there that they're not going to go quarterback. And then that leads us to the Bengals at number five. And we'll see what they do. That could be Penny Sewell. That could be Jamar Chase. One coach said to me that it would be quote unquote malpractice for the Bengals to not take an offensive tackle after what Joe Burrow went through last year. But it's the Bengals' choice, and we'll see what they decide to do. But here's the thing about all these picks, right? They're all about 
building for the future. They're all about the storylines that are going to unfold on Thursday night, Friday, Saturday with ESPN's draft coverage. And there always are great stories that come out of the draft. I think about there's never been a better story in my mind, certainly a better soundbite than the one that came 27 years ago this past week when the Colts traded up and took Nebraska linebacker Trev Alberts over Fresno State quarterback Trent Dilfer in what led to what was the greatest soundbite in history when my work partner, Chris Mortensen, set up the Colts general manager, Bill Tobin, after Mel Kuyper blasted the selection and Tobin stepped on camera with Mort. Everyone thought they were moving up to take Dilfer. What followed became the signature moment of the 1994 draft. The Rams have made a trade with uh, Indianapolis, and Indianapolis has selected uh, Trev Alberts, linebacker from Nebraska. Wow. That's something. Well, I mean, Albert's a great player. Yeah. There's typical. no question about that, but you got a problem with this move? I think it's a typical Colt move. I mean, here's a team that needed a franchise quarterback to pass up a Trent Dilfer when all you have is Jim Harbaugh. Give me a break. That's why the Colts are picking second every year in the draft, not battling for the Super Bowl like other clubs in the National Football League. One question, Bill. A lot of criticism about not taking a quarterback here. Your response? Well, you know, we got a guy up there. Who in the hell is Mel Kuyper, in a way? I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. In my knowledge of him, he's never ever put on a jock strap. He's never been a coach. He's never been a scout. He's never been an administrator. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our papers two days ago telling us who we have to take. We don't have to take anybody that Mel Kuyper says we have to take. Mel Kuyper has no more credentials to do what he's doing than my neighbor, and my neighbor's a postman, and he doesn't even have season tickets to the NFL. That was one of those bites that you remember where you were when you heard it. I happened to have been in the Denver Broncos training facility in what was the team meeting room, which is where the media watched the draft in those days. And I remember seeing that and being in awe, thinking that is the most incredible thing I've ever heard during the draft. And there will be more things like that at the draft. There always are great stories. I can think of my own personal stories that have come out of the draft. There are so many of them. There was one, one year in 2001, when I happened to make a few different calls to a few different Broncos sources the night before the draft. And on the morning of the draft, which was a Saturday morning back in the day, Saturday morning, I remember calling the Broncos vice president of communications, Jim Sacamano. We always would love to gossip about the draft. And I called him up about 7.38 in the morning. And I said, Jim, here's the, here's the picks. Write these down. Round one, Willie Middlebrooks, defensive back, Minnesota. Round two, Paul Toviesi, defensive end, Marshall. Round three, Reggie Hayward, defensive end, Iowa State. Round four, Ben Hamilton, Minnesota. Even gave him a punter, Nick Harris. And I gave him a few other names, but I certainly gave him those names. And all of a sudden, the draft is getting underway at about 9 a.m. And I get a call from Cindy Lowe, Mike Shanahan's secretary. Adam, Mike would like to see you in his office. And I thought, well, this is very odd. The draft is just getting underway. And the Broncos, hey, coach, wants to see me in his office at the start of the draft. Well, Jim Sacamano had told him 
basically who I was forecasting in each of the rounds for the team. And those were the exact players that they were focused in on. And Mike was not happy that I knew all these players and wanted me to explain where the information was coming from. Now, I had to try to explain without exposing anybody. I didn't want to get anybody in trouble. But he was completely annoyed and baffled and angered as the draft got underway. And I got summoned to his office to explain how I had the information. And sure enough, with the 24th overall pick, the Broncos took Willie Middlebrooks. And with the 51st overall pick, they took Marshall defensive end, Paul Toviesi. With the 87th overall pick, they took Iowa State defensive end, Reggie Hayward. And with the 113th overall pick, they took Minnesota guard, Ben Hamilton. And like I said, I had given them a couple of different names, but all those names were on the list that I turned into Jim, who turned into the head coach, which led me to get turned into his office at the start of the draft. These are the kinds of stories that unfold on draft week. And we're going to get more Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'm hoping not to be summoned to the office of Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland, being that I'll be there, but we'll see. You never know how this all unfolds. And again, we mentioned Mel Kuyper. Well, before we get into today's episode with the Jaguars head coach, Urban Meyer, I have a few things I need to tell you. First off, the NFL draft is this week, and ESPN's first draft podcast hosted by draft experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates have all the information you need to feel prepared for when your team makes their pick. Make sure you download and subscribe to First Draft wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't miss Football Americas, the new soccer debate show where Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar cover the U.S. and Mexican national teams throughout the season. Stream new episodes every Monday and Thursday only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. And now, the man who has the first overall pick in the draft, the man who made the jump from Ohio State to Fox to the Jacksonville Jaguars head coaching job, Urban Meyer. How you doing, Urban? I'm doing good. I've been locked in a cave for two weeks from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. watching every player you can imagine. And I'm ADD, so I have to get up every 30 seconds and walk around and move around. <laughs> yeah, what an experience. Uh, when you say what an experience, what stands out about it? Well, the whole process that in recruiting, you identify the best players and you go after them. Yeah. You know, everything <laughs> here is all about value. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's the vertical, but it's also horizontal. You list your running backs in order. And then, you know, in the, for 30 years, that's all you did. You listed people vertically. Now you have to say, okay, horizontally, is this running back better than that defensive end at that pick? And that's basically, it's all value. So it's just really, really intriguing. And uh, the way the personnel people work, I mean, I, I just have so much respect for what those guys do. I mean, what a tough world to sit in that video room for. I mean, they've been in there for a month. I want to call these kids all the time, develop relationships with them. And then our GM's like, don't call them too much because their agents will tell other people we're calling them. And, you know, so I'm just, just a whole different mindset, which it's great though. I really learned a lot here. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes there've been coaches, teams that have had zero contact with any players. And then all of a sudden undrafted their first contact and the players completely astounded to find out that a certain team is taking, what is it like though, for you to sit there, you were talking about horizontally and vertically, 
to process all this information and to decide how to value a defensive end over a guard or a running back over a wide receiver. What is that like for you to do that? Well, I'm a, a quick learner, you know, to say that I have the answers. I don't. That's why I was very judicious in uh, hiring a staff. You know, I, I hired two guys on offense, offense coordinator, coordinator with many, many years of experience running offenses. And then on defense, mm -hmm. I hired Joe Cullen, who I've known for 20 plus years, but I also got Bob Sutton. And I also got, you know, some veteran coaches that I've leaned on. So, and then Brian Snyder, a veteran special teams coach. So, you know, I, I can't, you know, you, you come from college to the pro, um, you think you know it, you don't know it. And I'm not ashamed to say that uh, I'm learning as we go, but I'm learning really fast. And I'm surrounded by, on purpose, I surrounded myself with people that have experience. And I think it's interesting because you've coached since 1985, you're 56 years old, and yet you've never gone through a draft where you're in an NFL war room. What do you think this experience will be like Thursday night? Well, it's also an organizational, you know, it's a transformational draft for an organization. This is the most important draft that I, I you know, I don't know that, I kind of know the whole history of the Jaguars, but this is one of those very unique drafts. When you look at, if you look at the NFL, this is one of these historic opportunities for Jacksonville. Obviously the number one pick, um, and we got to get, I keep challenging our staff. We have to get this right. There, there can't be, you know, there can't be a mess. And then you throw the additional challenge of COVID where you, the normal prog, uh, you know, the, the normal way of doing it, you go in and you, I'm such a relational person that I want to, I want to get about a foot from this player's face and talk to him about like didn't recruiting, you know, what are you made of? How are you going to handle this? What are your, you know, what are your habits? What are your, Tell me about your family, and I want to know this. And and you're now doing it on a iPad, and uh, you know it's not iPads aren't the same as in person. So there's there's challenges here, and I, I'm I'm very grateful. I surrounded myself with veteran people, veteran NFL people. So when you're still going through this, Urban, and you're talking to these young men on a Zoom call or whatever it may be, can you still feel as if this is a player I want to be a Jacksonville Jaguar? Yeah, and I remember I, Coach Belichick and I have talked about this. So much of these players are trained so well now. You know, after the <laughs> season, and our players have done it forever, they go to their uh, training sites, and if there are, you know, uh, speed bumps in their life or speed bumps in their career, they're, they're so rehearsed through that speed bump that you know, I'm not saying they're not being forthright, but it, it's that's real. You know, going to the combine – is very important, but they're rehearsed. You know, the best thing to do is go on – the best I've been around are the people that go on campuses and they dig and they talk and they listen and they learn about a player. And that's that's much different than a Zoom call or a combine, and that's been taken. You know, you can't do that. So now we're doing – you know, now you got to be creative on how you find uh, information about the player, like practice, like uh, do they fight through injuries? Do they – are they uh, – uh, someone that takes care of their body in the off season and all the things that are so critical to success. You know, a lot of it's you're just doing his intel the best you can. Did you hear the other day that Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni said he's been challenging all the college prospects to a game of rock, paper, scissors to gauge their competitiveness on Zoom calls? Have you deployed any tactics like that, Urban, 
to figure out how competitive these young players are? Uh, I haven't. I have not done that. That's a good idea. Uh, I've done it by trying to call people I know. I'm still young enough to, or not young enough, but uh, fresh out of college, so I know and a lot of people still in college. So I try to find out that way. But that's a great idea. But so you can call around. These are all your people, right? Like for you to call somebody Alabama or Clemson or whatever it may be, Ohio State. You know everybody in every program. Does that give you some sort of unique? advantage over other people perhaps i don't know if it's advantage it's something i'm taking advantage of you know I, I know a lot of the strength coaches i know some trainers i know you know i think the greatest resource is former players that you know if i recruited the player out of high school and i you know i know who he is or i know someone on that team and uh that's the greatest you know because you got to be careful also and I, i've talked to people over the years is you know you just call someone you don't know most of the time that person is going to do all they can to protect that player, which is fine. I, I can't disagree with that. And I used to do that. If I, if I was a coach and someone mm-hmm. called me and I didn't know who that person was. And they said, tell me about your player. You know, and I, I'm, I'm tied into that player. That's my guy for four years. You know, I'm a, that's my, got to protect him. I, I, that's my, that's like a family member to me. Um, so I'm very, you know, once again, I use the word judicious, but very, uh, you gotta be, you know, what information you're getting, it's got to be from, you got to, you know, uh, got to evaluate the source too. It's the value of information. It comes back again. We are, we are seeing the meaning of it and the value of it time and time again. It comes up in the draft process as well. I'm thinking about when you recruited, was there ever a guy you recruited who, when you did that, you said, this guy is a can't miss NFL standout one day. Yeah, Nick Bosa was a guy. He came from, a, you know, obviously, a first, his father was a first-rounder. I had his brother, Joey, was a first-rounder. So I, I knew, you know, I knew Eric Kumro, his uncle, was a first-rounder. And he went to St. Thomas Aquinas that you know, they used to joke around that I had my own, I had my own cot in that uh, facility because I was there so much. And uh, I, wanted, I watched him practice as a freshman and, you know, freshman, sophomore, I said, this one's done. He might be as good or better than Joey. And, you know, so, yeah, he was probably, I'm trying to think, you know, that's a, he kind of caught me off guard, but I'm happy to, I, I think he was probably the best prospect. The earliest prospect that I said, this one's a wrap. He's, a, he's an NFL player, high draft pick. You know, it's funny. I remember talking to Kyle Shanahan in the middle of that year, and he was lamenting the fact that they were going to win some games there not get the number one pick and not have the chance for Nick Bosa. They got number two and it worked out pretty well. They got Nick Bosa as the number two pick anyway. So sometimes these things happen, right? Uh, Urban, how would you characterize this group of quarterbacks in this upcoming draft class, particularly the top? I don't mean like the entire class because you're not assessing everybody, or maybe you are, but how would you assess the top of this quarterback class? I've always followed the NFL draft and the quarterbacks. I just, you know, have enjoyed it. I always compare them to the quarterbacks I've either had or ha- uh, have or had. And uh, I just think it's a very unique class. And, you know, once again, I've I got a little extra uh, uh, knowledge because I have Daryl Bell and Brent Schottenheimer with great experience. So we've watched them all in great detail. And hearing them speak and then me watching it, I just think there's a bunch of starters coming out of uh, college this year. I think the, there's a, a very good group of quarterbacks. You're going to hear their names for quite a while. So even though you have the number one overall pick 
and people have an idea of what you may or may not do, you still go in depth on all these other quarterbacks. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, we went at least uh, four, I want to say four to five, six weeks. I mean, we were really deep and then we narrowed it down and then you had your top two or three that you did a, a series of zoom calls. We did, uh, you know, it was the best we could, you know, we, we split up on pro days, sent a guy out to BYU onto Ohio state, obviously went to Clemson and we, those, you know, I, I, those are the three that we identified and we did a deep dive into those guys. And but what's interesting about that is everybody in the public just knows who you're taking and yet you're doing all this work on all these guys to be prepared. Why is that? Well, yeah, I, I think you just got to make sure you're doing the right thing. That this is, you know, the, the, our success and failure is going to be dependent upon this pick. And um, uh, we just, you know, I, I, I've always admired, you know, the unique thing I've had Adam over the last, I would say, probably 15 years. I've witnessed all 32 teams how they go about their business, and mm. I've always had great admiration for the organizations that dig and work and drive and you know, are always not asking, you know, they can't ask enough questions. And I'm not talking about how's he throw the outcut. Uh, by the way, an outcut isn't what makes a guy successful. It's all the uh, preparation and the seriousness, how he takes care of his body, competitive spirit, toughness, all the things. And we, we, I mean, I, I give great credit to our staff. We dug as hard as we possibly could. I think people would be surprised to hear that you dug as hard as you could on all these other quarterbacks. I just think that that's interesting to me. Nonetheless, when you were making the decision to come back, what role did this particular quarterback class have in making it be the right time for you to jump back into the NFL? Well, it, it wasn't the defining moment, but it was certainly as I started checking boxes about, uh, do I want to do this again? And, and the opportunity to win is high on my list of priorities, probably the highest. Not probably, but by far the highest. And, you know, you know me fairly well. And, you know, just, you know, I'm not, I didn't want to go coach. I want to make sure I, I get an opportunity to win games. And you can't do that without a quarterback. You, you know, and I used to say that on television that, well, it's NFL is a quarterback league. And I'd always come back and say, so is college, so is high school, so is Pee Wee, so is Pop Warner, so is kindergarten football. It's a quarterback sport. And if you don't have that guy, the chance of success is almost zero. And um, I thought it was, you know, very intriguing that a lot of these teams that play going through quarterbacks all the time. If you do right, you got this guy for the next four or five years, minimal. Minimal, a lot more than that. You could lock him in with the franchise tag. And if he's good, you get him signed long-term. But if this quarterback class were not what it was, would that have made it harder for you to jump to the NFL right now, Urban? I, I think it would have. Absolutely. I think uh, that was very appealing, the quarterback class coming out. When you spent time with Trevor during the offseason and all these Zoom calls, what stood out to you about him? Oh, his sincerity and his, uh, his uh, when I say sincerity, all he ever talks about is uh, winning. All he ever talks about is getting better. You know, it's not social media following. It's, you know, he's not even going to the NFL draft. It's not, you know, there's not a whole lot in his life other than his faith and his family. And I, I, I'm intrigued by that, you know, and winning. And also, you know, the guy gets married and everybody's at his wedding and his players speak so highly of him. 
You know, I, I've talked to many of his players on his on his team, obviously his coaches, uh, but I always like to ask players too, especially that position. And you have to be a leader and you have to be respected or quarterbacks will fail. And he checked those boxes, big black marks on his boxes uh, that he, he is respected by his teammates. And uh, just his focus in his life is, is really, uh, I, you know, I use the term refreshing because it is. Well, you talk about focus in his life, right? The fact that he's already married. There aren't too many quarterbacks that come into this league at the age of 21 who are married. I mean, I bumped into him at the Masters. It's two days before his wedding, and he's walking the course with his fiance. which, again, I don't know. It just surprised me to see him there two days before his wedding. It's not what I would have imagined. And we had him as a guest on this podcast back in December. And I had never spoken with him before, but I could not believe how well he handled himself, how poised he was, how mature he was, how thoughtful he was. And you could just tell right away, like I was saying with you, when you have these guys on a Zoom call, you can tell right away whether a guy gets it or doesn't get it. And he's, he gets it. He just gets it. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's time tested too. It's not a he gets it from last month or two months ago, but you look at all the way, you know, we went all the way back to high school. And then obviously um, he beats out a, a starter at Clemson and happens to beat Alabama in a national title game. Hmm. And he handles all the pressures of returning. And I don't believe they won it again, but at least they were there um, every time. So, yeah, he does get it. And, you know, I always look and, you know, you, you got to give credit to his family. You know, that that's not by accident. You know, that this and, – and I – I just wish I could go meet with. I will if I if this all works out and we decide to draft Trevor, which or whichever quarterback. But uh, I look forward to meeting that family because I love when I see a young person like that that's got everything in line, and that's not by accident. You know, I was on the phone with a quarterback guru this morning, and he said if you go back and look at all the games that Trevor started since high school, high school, college, maybe before that, he started more games than a guy like Sam Darnold has to this point in his career. And one of the reasons that he is as successful as he is because he's got so much experience at the position, even though he didn't play an entire time at Clemson. Do you see that in him at all, Urban? I do. I, I've had, you know, and, and Dwayne Haskins, I love Dwayne Haskins, but Dwayne played one year. You know, he came in and, and it was excellent coming out of high school, but he played one year of college. This guy's played three, every, every, you know, he's a starter. He came in and, I can't remember which game it was he took over early in the season. Uh, but then high school, he's a starter. But you're right. And that 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 position uh, is a position, obviously, I know very well. That is the ultimate repetition position in all of sport. You know, that's one that uh, you just see experience. You, you see uh, improvement with experience. All, all, all positions are like that. I would challenge. I don't know of any sport that – is that uh, that of any sport or any position where repetition is so important? And that's the case here. Now, I don't know how much attention you paid to the draft of 2018, Urban, but that was a draft in which four teams traded up in the first round to get four different quarterbacks. And I'm just wondering if you're expecting a busy Thursday night of activity once you make your pick at number one. And if you even pay attention to that kind of thing. Yeah, oh, of course I do. I, I, I'm intrigued by it. You know, I've talked to Jimmy Johnson a few times, and I know he came up with that value-based chart where the first yeah. pick is worth 1,200 points, and, you, and I just am so intrigued by that. And 
and Trent Bulky, our GM, has got his own, and 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 I've studied that. I, I just am enamored about the value of pick number uh, eighteen in the second round versus the six pick overall. Because there's some guys that you, I mean, I watch the videotape and I keep going after our GM. How do we get this guy move up in the draft? And you can see the value of those top five, six, seven picks. I, I get it now. I never quite understood because I didn't have time. I didn't study it like I have. But I am that that is mesmerizes me right now is how you because I, I I can you know I, I can after the draft we can talk about it but there's some people in this draft that you know I'm I'm looking at my GM saying move us up man let's get there and he's like it's not that easy you know it's you're gonna have to be you know you'd have to mortgage some of these picks that I want you'd have to give away you know your next few years of draft choices and that's uh, obviously that's not business smart well that's what San Francisco did to get up to three what was your reaction to that. Uh, you know, I don't know their situation. Uh, I was, once again, I just studied and I even sat down. We actually had a meeting about, you know, how and why, and what's your thoughts on this. And I had, you know, our assistant GM, our GM and some personnel. And then I asked Bevel too, and Schottenheimer, you know, what's your thoughts? Cause you know, someday we might be in that position, not this year, but someday. And what's the point of having a meeting like that to assess a move that another team made to get to number three when you're at number one, how does that benefit you? Just to, just that one day you might be in a similar position. Well, this is Adam. This is so much of this is new to me, and I want to, you know, if I'm going to be involved in decision making, which I am, the first thing, you know, I have an obligation to become educated in this thing, and I'm not, you know, my ego is not such that I'm not going to ask people who've done it for 25 years say, "Tell me about this," and and the guys I've hired, I can't. They're A pluses. Wow. We, we, it's, it's been really, really good uh, opportunity for me to grow as a NFL guy. And I don't know if this is real or not, but how much pressure do you feel to get it right with a quarterback at the top of the draft? Well, you know me, I feel pressure about everything, but this is, this is the <laughs> one I can't, what was it? Was it 35 years I've been involved in the game of football or as a coach and then player. And I, I can't think of a more, uh, important decision that I've been involved in. I mean, this you're talking about a organization that needs a jump start. You're think you're talking about you know, and I, I don't want to get too deep, but you're talking about an incredible community that needs a jump start. You need a fan base that needs a jump start. You need a, I mean, this is all this this is on it, man. And uh, you know, and I've challenged everybody around here, including myself. And that's why you ask about the deep dive. You're darn right, we're going to make a deep dive. There's a lot of people counting on this an owner, but you know, you, you start looking and I've been here now for almost three months. This community is incredible. I, I've always loved 904 and Duval County and all that. And uh, yeah, I know this count. I know this community, but I also know the value of successful football teams. I've seen it. I've seen that, you know, from Bowling Green, Ohio, how it just invigorated a community that was a little down all the way to Salt Lake city, same with Gainesville, same with Columbus. And then bang, you get to go in here now. A lot of good things can happen in 904 if we win some games. Well, it's all laid out for you there. You got all these picks. You got the number one overall pick. You got a chance to get a pretty good quarterback that I know that I met in Augusta a couple of weeks back. But I want to look ahead to Thursday night. What do you think will be going through your mind? What will it be like to sit down in your first NFL war room to make your first picks as an NFL head coach? What will be the emotions that night, Urban? Well, it's going to be very emotional. It's also going to be the accumulation of uh, culmination of uh, 
I never envisioned that what I would have done the last two weeks. Uh, you know, it was a lot of work going up. The last two weeks, I'm telling you, we go in there at 7 a.m. We <laughs> leave that room at 7 p.m. I told everybody that when I'm done, when this draft is over, I'm going to take a hand grenade and flip it in that room uh, when it's when we're over. I mean, that, we're in that room. And by the way, there's no windows. The room started off it, this, it's big, the NFL ver- this big. It's the NFL version of solitary confinement. <laughs> I actually said that. We've called, actually, we haven't. We have a nickname for that. It's called the hole. I'll lock in that hole for about a week, and then you we'll come back. We'll feed you. We'll feed you twice a day, and then you tell me how you feel when you're done. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Anybody that acts up in the Jaguars organization, they're going to the hole. That's it. They're going to the hole. Hey, Urban, really appreciate the time. Really enjoyed it. Lots of luck on Thursday night. We'll continue to speculate on who might be the number one overall pick, and I appreciate the time today. Good to see you, Adam. Thank you. How good was Urban Meyer? And I honestly think it was just coming out of the hole. That's all it was. He was just happy to come out of the hole and talk to a human being outside the Jacksonville Jaguars organization. I think he's sick of being in the hole. He's sick of talking to the people in his building. He welcomed an outside voice, and we were happy to provide that for him as he took some time out of his busy schedule before he turns in the card on Thursday night with the number one overall pick that everyone expects to be the Clemson quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, from Urban Meyer onto the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. All right, it is draft week, and that means we now bring back my friend, my colleague, for a very special draft week edition of whatever we call this segment. I don't even know what we call it. doesn't really matter. But welcome back, Evan Kaplan. We figured we'd turn to you with some great draft storylines, and I think there are many this week. First and foremost, just out of the gate, what strikes you about this week? Well, Adam, first of all, thanks for having me on again. It's always great to be on the podcast with you. And this, this is always one of my favorite weeks of the year. And I think a lot of us who work around the NFL can say the same thing. Uh, there's nothing like the draft and the unexpected nature of it. And I think with everything that happened with with the pandemic last year, everyone missed being together in the same place. And I think we're all looking forward to getting out to Cleveland and, and covering this great event for three days. And I think what sticks out to me, and you could probably say this for most years with the draft, is the quarterbacks, right? That is the key storyline. We are going to see, I think it's safe to say, at least four in the top ten. There's probably a good chance we'll see five, which would be a record. We've never seen five quarterbacks go in the top ten. We've also never seen four quarterbacks go with the first four picks of the draft. Certainly another thing that's possible. That would be, so let's say there's four quarterbacks in the top ten this year. Add to the three last year. That's seven top ten QBs in the last two years. And lately, I was looking back at this, so I looked – back at the QBs who were taken in the first round between picks 11 and picks 32. And other than a few, most recently Lamar Jackson's one of the outliers. But other than that, it's not great. So what that tells me, if you want a first-round QB, let's say in the last decade, you either need to have a top-10 pick or you need to have 
the ability and the ammo to get into the top 10 to get those quarterbacks. Well, we did a piece on ESPN this weekend. I don't know if you got a chance to see it on the Sports Center special. Yeah. And there were 25 teams that have traded up in the common draft era. And basically, the acquiring pick team has gotten better value than the team that traded up for the quarterback 25 yeah. or 25 times. Yeah. Now, I don't know. How, I don't know how they quantify that and how they measure that and how they yeah. produce that stat, but that was the stat that ESPN's research stats information department provided that basically the trading up team had given up more than the acquiring team 25 straight. That's kind of crazy, right? When you think about it like that. It, it, is, it is. And I saw the piece. It was a great piece. You know, I'm very good friends with Gavin Cody who produced it. I he did a great job. Gavin did a great job. He did a great job. Worked very closely with Doug Clawson, also a friend of mine who kind of came up with some of the ideas. It was a, it was a tremendous piece. And yeah. And, and Brian Burke who works with our analytics team kind of, there, there's all sorts of different um, ways to kind of m- match it up and say, okay, we, what did this team give up based on the value that they were acquiring? And one of the things, great transition, is we're, we're in midseason form here, Adam. One of the other great things that, that Brian and our analytics team comes up with is something we'll, we call a draft predictor. So what they're able to do is using all the mock drafts out there, using all the reported information from you and more than everybody else we have, other data points as well in terms of where did a player that falls similar to this player end up going in the draft? We can say, okay, when pick four comes on the clock, what is the percent chance that Trey Lance is available? What is the percent chance that Kyle Pitts is available? There's a lot of interesting ones to look at throughout the as we kind of head towards Thursday and the first night. And one of the two of the flashpoints for me are the quarterbacks, Justin Fields and Trey Lance. So if we look at Justin Fields in this draft predictor, 83% chance he's there at pick six. That drops to 51% chance by pick eight, 25 by nine. So as you see, if a team wants Justin Fields, they may not, might need to move up into that top six or seven. Trey Lance, kind of a similar story where he has a 70% chance of being there at pick seven where the Lions currently pick. I don't believe they'll take a quarterback. But that drops to 23% by pick nine. So that is a, it's a really interesting tool that we'll have. You're going to see it on the ESPN Draft broadcast Thursday night. The best part is it updates in real time. So we're going to be able to tell let's say it kind of goes chalk in terms of what we expect in the top three. All those percentages are going to change, and we're going to try and mix them into uh, to our coverage Thursday night. It's interesting because as you give those percentages, Trey Lance – uh, as you get those percentages, 85% chance Trey Lance is available at the sixth pick, uh, 49% by eight. Justin Fields, 70% chance of being there at seven. I would say, um, Justin Fields has a 85 90% chance of being there at pick six or seven, maybe 95%. How about that? And Trey Lance, you have Trey Lance at what 60% at pick. 85% of pick six for Trey Lance. No, that's much lower. Yeah. Okay. Now, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? It's on San Francisco. Would San Francisco take him? Right. And, and I'll, I'll just say this. They're definitely thinking about it. Wow. They're that, definitely thinking that, about it. And that, that, uh, that is, I mean, three, I think we know one and two, you and everybody else have reported that for months, three and four. And that's when the draft begins. And that's when the fun begins. I think Trey Lance is an interesting prospect, at least from my perspective, kind of looking at the numbers of it. 17 starts in college, really didn't play at all last year. So the idea of a redshirt year sitting behind a veteran quarterback makes perfect sense. But 
the numbers. So since 2008, so that's a 13-year sample size now, 16 of the 18 quarterbacks picked in the top five started at least 10 games as a rookie. The only two who didn't start double-digit games were Jared Goff, who still started seven in 2016, mm. and Tua Tunga who started nine games last season. Now, that does not mean that Trey Lance couldn't sit for most or not all of his rookie season. All it is saying is, in recent history, when teams have picked a quarterback in the top five, that quarterback has seen the field almost immediately. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And 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 by the way, I was talking to somebody in San Francisco over the weekend, and we're going through this. I said. Well, you have Jimmy Garoppolo, or maybe who knows, right? You have Jimmy Garoppolo. Wouldn't that be more likely that you would make it? Um, wouldn't it be more likely that you would then pick Mac Jones? Because people say Trey Lance. And I can tell you that didn't seem to be the sentiment. Like, uh, that's not going to be a factor. Like, there, and, and the funny thing is I hear all these people talk about it on all these draft shows and podcasts. Like, oh, pick Trey Lance. He's the guy to sit. Over Mac Jones, Mac Jones is more, and you know what? That's not how the 49ers are thinking at all. That's not what they think. So some of the arguments that are being espoused out there, they're not real. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you something else about this draft season. There are things that you know, and then I'm listening to certain things Mm -hmm. from other people, and I go to myself, I I can't believe how much misinformation, incorrect statements are like i just can't believe yeah it's it's unbelievable how much noise and nonsense there is out there i don't know to your point adam i don't know if it's the 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 number of high profile quarterbacks at the top if it's i don't know what it is but i cannot remember a draft season that has been covered as heavily as this one. i mean it feels like almost since the the day after the super bowl it has been non-stop everywhere draft every day i don't know really you think so i think i think that's always been the case maybe you're just more aware of it i i think that's always the case there's been a lot of talk about this particular class because of the quarterbacks but if we go back to 2018 with baker field and sam darnold and josh allen josh rosen i think it was similar then and if you go back to any class that features a lot of quarterbacks uh, to me, that's always the situation. But I'm curious. It's interesting that you think that yeah. there was more this year than another year. I don't know what it is. I mean, and and all and you don't always have the the one two at the top, right? I mean, you you mentioned 2018. That was Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, almost coming out of nowhere in the last few weeks to be the number one pick. Whereas this year, we kind of know Trevor Lawrence, the um, certainly the presumptive number one pick for months. The, the one other thing that I, I think is a, certainly a fascinating storyline with this draft is the New England Patriots. And they picked 15th overall. That's their highest pick to start in the first round since 2008. And what we saw in March was them spending $165 million in guaranteed money on free agents, something that Bill Belichick has never done in his history. So I think they are a fascinating story in the first round on Thursday night and what they do or don't do if they stay 15 or where they potentially either move up or back. We've certainly seen Bill Belichick move back plenty of times. So, they after you get out of the quarterbacks right at the top, right at the top, they're that really next flashpoint for me. Yeah, they'll be a very interesting team. Like, look, every team is interesting uh, to watch, but in that division, the Miami Dolphins yeah. also are interesting, right? They've got all these picks. What do we make of Miami's chances 
uh, to build a playoff caliber, championship caliber team, Evan? So this is a team that, that had four picks in the top 50 last year, uh, two of Tungavailoa being the headliner, certainly a fifth overall. They, they finished 10-6 and six last year. They had a chance to make the playoffs in Week 17, didn't work out in the game in Buffalo. Well, now they have four top 50 picks again. Those picks were originally from the Houston Texans, and the, the extra picks were from the Texans in the Laramie Tunsil trade. They moved around some of those picks, certainly, to move back from 3 to 12 and move back up to 6. But they could become only the fourth team in the common draft era since 1967 and the first in the last 25 years to make four picks in the top 50 in consecutive years. That This division, the AFC East, I mean, the Bills were in the AFC Championship last year. They had the MVP runner-up in Josh Allen. You've always got the Patriots there. The Jets are going to take a quarterback second overall. They've got a whole new coaching staff. One of the most interesting divisions in the NFL, and I think what the Dolphins have built the defense down there with Brian Flores, I would certainly expect them to get some offensive playmakers to start this draft. So four picks in the top 50 mm. consecutive years. Now, certainly they can move trades, but that, that is certainly a way to build your team with a ton of high-end talent. And so we got the draft this week, and then the NFL schedule comes out on May 12th, and then it'll be mini camps and OTAs and all sorts of things. And before you know it, training camp will be here. But let's not rush it away. Let's enjoy this week in Cleveland. I look forward to seeing you there back on the road again. This is my first work trip since going to the Combine, the combine last year in 2020. Wow. And for you, that must be the longest stretch you've ever gone without traveling for work, right? If you had, if you, if you had told me – that you will not make a single work trip, not spend a single night away from your house in 14 months. Yep. I would say, well, what did I get fired for? <laughs> right. No, right. you would never believe it. You would never believe it. I, it. You couldn't even come up with something to make me believe no. that. But here we are. And uh, <laughs> and I'm also finding out little rules because I was saying to our boss, Seth Morgan, hey, let's yep. grab dinner one night this week. Yeah. And well, it has to be some place that we could – because I'm fully vaccinated, right, right. It has to be someplace we could walk. I go, we're not allowed to take Ubers. That's company policy. I'm like, right. wow, okay. I, 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 again, things the things you learn. They you are. Didn't know. Yep. But it'll be fun. I can't wait to get out there. I can't wait to see you and everyone else out. Likewise, Evan, appreciate you joining today. Thanks for the draft preview, and we'll see you in Cleveland. Sounds good. Thanks. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do. You do. We all do big, small, and when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. And there is the ESPN analytics guru, my friend, my colleague, Evan Kaplan, and we are on to Thursday night in Cleveland, Ohio, one of the best nights of the year. And every draft year, when you wake up on draft morning, you just feel the adrenaline. I always say it feels like Christmas 
in April. And Evan touched on something there that I think is exactly right. The fact that we weren't there in person last year makes it that much more appreciated and that much more anticipated. And the last draft we went to was in Nashville. And think of the throngs on the street back then. And if you had said to me then, hey, you won't be going to another draft for two years, I would have been, that's also crazy. But that's where we are. And that's been some of the crazy situations in the world. And here we are going to Cleveland, where it looks like rain is in the forecast. And I think they're going to have about 50,000 fans outside. And it's going to be a great event because the draft is always a great event. And we're going to have some surprise picks. And we're going to get some trades too. some veteran players who likely will be dealt during the draft because that always happens. We've heard the name Zach Ertz dangled out there from Philadelphia. I don't think Philadelphia just going to give away Zach Ertz for nothing. I think they're open to listening, but it's going to take a compelling offer for the Eagles to deal him. Otherwise, they'll hold on to him, which I don't think is what Zach Ertz wants. I think Philadelphia would like to get good compensation back, but there'll be veterans who are dealt, surprise picks that are made, and we will be there to bring it all to you live on ESPN Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then we'll be back in this spot next week to recap the events of the past week. We are hoping and anticipating on having Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay for an in-depth look at what transpired over three days in Cleveland, Ohio. For this week, I want to thank the Jaguars head coach, Urban Meyer, for taking time to leave the hole to join us again. I want to thank the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. And I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for taking time out of her busy schedule to put together this podcast. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we recap the 2021 NFL Draft. Until then, have a great draft week, everybody.